Finding Freedom in Finance. My name is Braden, and I am back now. I'm sorry about my delayed absence. Um, I have a few things in the works here. I've got a couple episodes that I'm about ready to go, one of which I'm going to be talking about today. But I also have in the works to potentially be trying to get in the podcast studio and the university. So hopefully the uh, audio quality and things will be a little bit better in the future. But hopefully it doesn't sound too bad right now. I've done my best to rig my space that I have with good stuff and I want to get going. So welcome back to the latest episode of Finding and Freedom and Finance. And today, oh guess what it's going to be? We're going to be talking about ChatGPT, a powerful language model developed by OpenAI. I'm your host, of course, Braden, and I'll be your guide as we delve into this exciting technology. So what is ChatGPT? ChatGPT is a language model developed by OpenAI that uses deep learning techniques to generate human-like text. It's based on the GPT, Generative Pre-Trained Transformer model, and has been trained on a massive amount of text data from the internet. This allows it to understand and generate a wide range of topics and styles of writing. With this in mind, we can use ChatGPT for a variety of things. One of the most important uses is in chatbots, where it can generate human-like responses to user inputs. It can also be used for content creation, such as writing articles or generating code. Additionally, it can be used for language translation, summarization, and even for question answering. But what does all this mean for the future of artificial intelligence? The development of powerful language models like like ChatGPT is a significant step forward for AI. It allows for more natural and human-like interaction with machines, which can greatly improve the user experience. Additionally, by being able to understand and generate a wide range of text, it has the potential to greatly improve efficiency in fields such as content creation and customer service. It also opens up new possibilities for AI-powered personal assistant and other applications. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Finding Freedom in Finance. Join us next week as we delve into the world of virtual reality and its impact on the what I would say if this episode were over. A lot of you might have been thinking that that didn't really sound like me all that much, and you would be right because that entire bit, all of it, was written by ChatGPT itself. All I did was type my question into the chatbot. I'm a podcaster. Write a 10-minute episode script about what ChatGPT is, what you can do with it, and what it means for the future of AI. Now, obviously, this wasn't a 10-minute episode. I guess it had a little bit of struggle as far as determining how long 10 minutes would be saying it, and I guess I can talk pretty fast. But the entire point was to show you a little bit of the wide range of applications. All I did was, you know, it was 15 seconds of work. I'm a podcaster. Write about ChatGPT. Tell me what it is and how it affects people. And it was just able to do it. So hopefully that's a pretty good ex- demonstration of what it can do, where it wrote me an entire, it was three minutes of just solid talking about what ChatGPT is. And, you know, let me get into it more from my point of view, not necessarily what the chatbot wrote about itself, but what I'm writing about the chatbot. 
JetGPT is a chatbot that digests internet content and summarizes it in a chat-like format, almost human-like in delivery. So you could just type pretty much anything in there. One prompt that I typed in was summarize the Battle of Bunker Hill, and it just straight up told me um, all phases of the battle. You can you can ask it anything. I asked it to summarize um, nuclear fusion into a haiku, and it did it. You know, it's just these things that it's in it's it's creating something new using old data. The thing is, there's I'll get into it a little bit later about the different types of AI. But what ChatGPT has been able to do is it's been able to take existing ideas, existing data, existing facts about the world and things and kind of craft its own delivery for them, right? It doesn't it doesn't give you somebody's paper. Like if you type into Google, it'll give you a link of someone's paper. Instead of that, ChatGPT will write its own summary of the paper using human-like language in any form you want. You can ask it to give you a summary of, um, I don't know, you could ask it to give it the summary of the Bible in, the, in Shakespeare, in, it'll, in, the, in the Shakespearean format, and it'll do it, and it'll sound like Shakespeare himself wrote it. So it's, it's interesting in the way that you can ask it anything, and in three seconds, it can create a delivery for that using existing ideas. It's not doing any thinking or anything like that, it's, but it's existing ideas in a format that you ask for, right? You can you can ask it for mental health advice, which is kind of funny. Um, you can, a lot of people I know, especially a lot of um, computer science or STEM majors, will use it a lot for coding, where you'll say, write me a this function, and it'll write you a, a this function that will chir- that will put out an output, that will compile. Um, you can ask it, I saw one Twitter thread where somebody said, I weigh this many pounds, I'm trying to lose this many pounds a week, um, I'm this tall, and it'll say, all right, so you need to need to lose this many a week by doing this much exercise and eating these type of meals. And it gave him a meal plan. And then it gave him a grocery list for what he needed to buy in that meal plan. So you can really ask it to do anything. Like I said, one thing I asked it was to summarize nuclear fusion in a haiku. And it did it. You can ask it to write resumes. You can ask it for interview prompt answers. You know, you could ask, type in, what is my greatest weakness? And it'll give you a very serviceable answer where it'll say, this is my weakness, here's why, but here's how I'm working on it, which is exactly how you're supposed to answer those questions if you weren't sure. But like I said, there is some defined limitations to it, right? Um, ChatGPT, there's two different types of AI. There's weak AI, and then there's strong AI. Weak AI is AI that can perform a set of predefined functions, but cannot think for itself. Strong AI, on the other hand, is AI machines that can think and learn just like humans. The thing about ChatGPT is its set of predefined functions may be an extremely wide range, but it's not coming up with new ideas. It's not pushing boundaries in science. It's not coming up with new models, new ways of thinking, new new thoughts. It's just summarizing those in a way that A, humans couldn't do anywhere near as fast, and B, in a different style, perhaps. If you wanted something in the style of Shakespeare, you, you could do that. It's just how, it's, it's just like the creation of new new styles of information. And so that's really interesting. But the whole point is, is that AI is getting much stronger. And this is really kind of the watershed moment for the consumer version. Because if you think about it, GPT-3 was actually released in 2020 in kind of the alpha and beta, if you think about how games are released. So, you know, it's 
it's getting stronger, but it's not quite strong AI in the ability to think and to do new things, that sort of thing. Um, and if you're interested, the way ChatGPT was trained was in something called reinforcement learning. Um, ChatGPT creates multiple responses to a prompt, and humans actually went in and rated these responses from best to worst. ChatGPT then adopts the writing style from the highest rated and discards from the lower rated. You do this thousands of times, and it begins to sound like a human because humans are saying, is this a satisfactory answer or not? It's, it's like learning. Um, continues to evolve because there's even a like-dislike button for the answer to each prompt that sends data back to OpenAI. For example, a couple, like when it first released to the public, you could give it to give you a, re- a math rep- recipe. Now you can't, and I won't confirm how I know that. But the, the point is, is it's constantly getting better over time and becoming even more potent in the, in the, uh, in the world where it's, it's, it's able to get more information and continue to go further with it. And if you look, there's actually some interesting, there is very interesting applications of ChatGPT. The first being the threat to Google, right? If you look, if you type something into Google, Google will give you a link where you can find the answer. But what ChatGPT does is it takes in huge amounts of data, often quite a bit of quite a bit of the data that's in the Google links that Google takes you to and just straight up gives you the answer, gives you the summary of what all those Google links are saying. So instead of having to go and click on a link, read it, try and find it out yourself, a lot of times ChatGPT will straight up just summarize those and give it to you straight. It's like the TLDR version, too long, didn't read. So you don't have to go through and read all these links. A lot of times you'll just go into ChatGPT, like same thing, for example, ChatGPT, if you type in, give me a best steak restaurant in LA, if you're visiting LA for the first time or have something there and you need to go out to dinner and you're looking for a steak dinner, you can just type in there, what is the best steak restaurant? And it'll scrape all of those Google websites, you know, Yelp, um, TripAdvisor, all those things, and it'll find out the best steak restaurant, and it'll just straight up give you the recommendation so you don't have to go searching for it yourself. It'll just synthesize all of that information and give you the output you're looking up. But if you look, there's actually um, a problem with this, and that is really expensive because you have to think instead of just, because Google can just pop up links, right? I mean, obviously, it's a large amount of information, large amount of server data and things. But A, is Google has been doing this for decades now, a couple decades decade and a half, something like that. But point is, is that Google is an expert at this and they understand these things and have greatly minimized the cost, made better servers and all those things. But the, uh, but for ChatGPT and for OpenAI, which is a relatively new company, is it's expensive. There are estimates, actually the CEO of OpenAI, which I will get to later, um, tweeted that it potentially costs up to single digits for a search to go through single digit cents. So if you're thinking five cents a search and if ChatGPT had as much traffic as Google, which is eight and a half billion searches a day, then it would cost a OpenAI $425 million for the electricity alone to power these searches. So the thing is, because ChatGPT is so much more um, computationally powerful and resource draining, it actually costs a lot more money, and it seems like OpenAI at the moment is losing money hand over fist. But 
as we'll see, OpenAI definitely has a plan for this. And I want to switch to talk about OpenAI because there are lots of ChatGPT summaries and videos out there that can give you a much better idea of the technology than I can. But what I can do as a finance podcast is go into the inner workings of it. So if we'll look, OpenAI was founded by six people. One of them you'll know very well. It was first founded by Sam Altman, Greg Brockman, Ilya Sutskever, I will butcher these names, Wojciech Zaremba, John Schulman, and of course, Elon Musk. So I will go into each one of those people as of the minute, but it's also important to note that it was started as a nonprofit in 2015 and raised $1 billion for some more people you might know, including Elon Musk, who I already mentioned, uh, Peter Thiel, who was obviously the founder of PayPal, one of the PayPal mafia, if you know anything about that. If not, I would look them up. They are they are behind some of the biggest inventions in the world in the past two decades. And Reed Hoffman, another member of the PayPal mafia and co-founder of LinkedIn. So a lot of really powerful people in Silicon Valley have their paws all over this thing. Um, obviously, if you know a little bit about ChatGPT, Elon Musk, I think, left the company in around 2018. But first, I want to start with Sam Altman, because I want to go give you a quick um, background on each one of the people on the each one of the founders. Um, Sam Altman was a former Stanford dropout who founded Looped in 2005. He failed social network that was sold in 2012 for $43 million. Not sure how a failed social network gets sold for $43 million, but I couldn't really find anything more about that. He joined Y Combinator in 2011, I think with Looped, um, but then eventually as a partner, but he eventually rose up the ranks as just an employee of the Combinator itself and became president in 2014. Um, Y Combinator, of course, is a world-renowned startup accelerator where they really they take in some of the best ideas in the world and work on them and try and churn out some of the biggest companies in the world. Some of these companies being Airbnb, DoorDash, Stripe, Instacart, Dropbox, and Coinbase. A few companies you you might have heard of. It's made approximately 3,000 investments since 2005, and the total value of Y Combinator companies exceeds $300 billion. So Y Combinator, again, has had its... It's had its paws all over some of the biggest companies in the world and some of the biggest Silicon Valley giants. And Sam Altman was the president in 2014. And then finally, he started OpenAI and is its current CEO. And then he left Y Combinator a couple years after 2014 to focus solely on OpenAI. To move on with some of the people you might not have heard of, if you have heard of Sam Altman because he's kind of the public face of OpenAI, Greg Brockman was the former Harvard dropout who was Stripe's CTO, again, one of these companies in the Y Combinator, and a decent chance that might have been how he met Sam Altman. And he is now OpenAI's chief technology officer. So you have somebody moving from one of the most solid Silicon Valley companies, and he seems like a massive growth generator over the next couple decades because I only hear good things of Stripe as a company. And you have him... And of course, a world-renowned Y Combinator company, and now moving into OpenAI as its CTO. The next uh, founder I want to talk about is Wojciech Zaremba, who is a name I just completely butchered. 
and his he had a PhD and he got his PhD at New York University and he spent a lot of time um, at Google Brain and Facebook Artificial Intelligence Research. He spent a year at Google Brain and a year at Facebook AI Research. So these big companies have a similar idea as OpenAI and a similar idea where those are kind of long, long-term long bets these companies are making on the future of AI because these companies, when you're that big, you have obviously your current business and then you also have kind of your big bets of the future to try and stay relevant going forward because if you just focus on what you do, you will not be able to prepare for the future. So these companies are making moonshot bets is the, the word termed for it on these big technologies to try and grow these technologies to keep pace with open AI and to be prepared for the future. And next up is Ilya Sutskever, who I also totally butchered. He got his PhD at the University of Toronto. And of course, he was also a former engineer at Google Brain. Like I mentioned, Google's deep learning AI division sounds very similar to open AI. And he left Google Brain for, obviously, OpenAI, where he serves as its chief scientist. So those are kind of the notable founders that I wanted to talk about. And their goal was, at at some point, to develop and promote friendly AI in a way that benefits humanity as a whole. So that is the OpenAI team, the OpenAI management team. And now I want to... turn into a timeline of OpenAI. So in 2016, obviously it was founded in 2015 as a nonprofit. That's the interesting part is in 2015 when it was founded, OpenAI was a nonprofit. I'll explain a little bit more about that, but that is not entirely the case anymore. In 2016, OpenAI, after, like I said, being funded as a nonprofit with $1 billion from a combination of, like I said, Elon Musk, Reid Hoffman, Peter Thiel, others, of course, but those are kind of the most well-known figures of the names that I looked at as far as investors into OpenAI in 2015. In 2016, it released their first product, which was an AI that beat pro Dota 2 players. Dota is a MOBA game, which is called Multiplayer Online Battle Arena. In this, in the game, two teams of five players play against each other, and the team that destroys the other team's stronghold first wins the game. Obviously, there's quite a bit more complexity to go along with that, but that's kind of a basic overview. So then, what it did is it rele- released an AI that beat Pro Dota 2 players using reinforcement learning. So basically, these bots would face these players and over time they learned what was better and better and obviously after a certain point these computers obviously have better reaction times than the humans so once they learned what buttons to click and when they were able to beat these dota 2 players and i think it was just like a 1v1 fight and it was just like if you've ever seen that viral video of the super mario learning bot where over the course of 18 minutes or something the Super Mario bot was able to beat the entire game, was able to beat the entire game used by learning. It learned, it basically had an objective, which was to go further. And whenever it did something, it determined, did I go further or did I not? And if I went further, then it would keep that behavior. And if it did not go further, then it would get rid of the behavior. And over time, it eventually got better and better until it was able to beat the level. And once it beats it once, it beats it every time because it's perfect in the way that 
it does things right like if you are a professional golf player you will and you know what the perfect swing is you will never hit the perfect swing every time because that requires perfection which humans can't do but once this ai learned the perfect set of moves to beat the super mario game because the level is the same every time it can do the exact same thing at the exact same time much better than humans pressing buttons so it is able to do it and able to do it perfectly once it learns and it's reinforcement learning so if the bot died dying is indicated as a bad thing so then it doesn't do that behavior same with dota but it's a lot more complicated because there's a lot more move sets there are soups there are special moves like when do you back off when do you fight there's a lot more complexity in that type of gameplay so it was a lot more complicated to release a bot that could beat a dota 2 player a professional player in the same year, it re- actually released GPT-1. So if you don't know, ChatGPT is currently in its third iteration. It's ChatGPT and it's GPT-3. Um, but it released GPT-1 in 2016. And I don't think they released it publicly. And they might have, but I never had heard of it when that released. Um, so that happened too. And also they released OpenAI Gym, which was a reinforcement learning program that I have no doubt they used to train a lot of their other bots. In 2017, they released GPT-2. Obviously, as these things get better, they can have, they can get more data and be able to synthesize that data more as more reinforcements are taught to the AI. OpenAI released GPT-2, but it was not released to the public for fear of misuse. For example, to give you the uh, ingredient list and the preparations for making potential illicit materials. And so it was actually not released to the public and I think was only released to private people and to try and make it better. In 2018, which is interesting, it pretty much switched to a for-profit business where it said all of the directors, all the people who invest money can make no more than 100 x on their the money they invested which could potentially be in the drop in the bucket depending on what the valuation becomes because if ai becomes a huge thing and people are going to pay money to use chat gpt for white collar services then they can make a lot more than that money so there's they actually capped how much money they can make from it and supposedly it create well they did create open ai lp which is for profit that focuses on commercial development and it's done to fund the nonprofit research side of the business where it furthers the technology and a lot of them you know you could say that it's a uh, kind of a ruse to just say and just make money off it i don't entirely know but that's an interesting thing to note going forward as they actually switched from nonprofit to for profit and in 2019, Microsoft invested a billion dollars in OpenAI for a multi-year exclusive computing partnership where OpenAI will work with Microsoft Azure. The idea here is OpenAI will train itself on Microsoft servers. So, you know, for the reinforcement learning and the programs and things, it can use Azure servers to do those things. But... In return, Microsoft will get an exclusive computing partnership, which sounds a lot like licensing, where Microsoft will have exclusive rights to use OpenAI's technology for its own products and services, which I'll get into later because that is coming into effect now today. 
in 2020, at the end of 2020, they actually released GPT-3 in alpha and then beta. So it actually was released quite a while ago, but just wasn't released to the general public. So it, it, it's, a, it was an, it's, it's an older thing. It, it wasn't released yesterday, even though it was released to the public at the end of November of last year. It's been around for a while. And in 2021, um, OpenAI switched their mission to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. So like I said, that strong AI, that AI that's able to think, that's able to do more complica- complicated work to be able to replace jobs where you that are really think, not just regurgitate information in necessarily a new way, but to be able to continue to uh, eat the jobs of workers, right? This is a lot of the ideas behind a potential universal basic income where if chat gpt is taking the job of assistance marketing you know coming up with marketing campaigns with logos writing scripts replacing hollywood people if it does that thing if it gets better then the goal is a we don't need a terminator situation although that seems very fantasized for of course the movie but it needs to benefit all of humanity so that they changed their mission to that. And then they also released Dolly, the virtual art creator. I don't know if you have seen Dolly. Dolly released, and it was pretty popular. I had um, quite a bit of brushes with Dolly. Nothing like ChatGPT, but it was really interesting to see the rise of Dolly to where you could say you could give it a ridiculous situation and you could give it a style. So paint me a picture of a pig flying in the style of Monet, right? If you know the famous water lilies painting and it would have kind of those same colors and those same contours and those, I don't know a whole lot of paintings, so I can't really give any um, specifics, but it looked like Monet had drawn a pig flying, except obviously he didn't. So it's creating something new with some things that we already know in a certain style. So it's very similar to ChatGPT with words, only with painting. In 2022, obviously ChatGPT released to the public, and now OpenAI is super focused on scaling, right? Making the technology better so they can process more searches while also um, reducing the cost of those searches, right? Because if five cents is what it takes to do a search, they might go bankrupt pretty quickly if you think about how expensive that could be. So they need to lower the cost and increase the potential amount of searches that can be done on the platform because it's free. And it seems like the next logical course of action is to make it cost money at some point, you know, get everybody hooked on the free trial. You know, people are asking at mental health advice. People are making a comprehensive gym and diet plan and all that sorts of thing. Get people hooked on it, get professionals hooked on it. And it's reasonable for a lot of companies, especially maybe through work, you know, you say Microsoft is going to pay 50 bucks a month for all their employees to have chat GPT because all of a sudden you need a lot less people and you can have chat GPT do a lot of the uh, writing for you if you have some important things. Like I just saw an article like right before I started recording this episode that said, the CEO of Coursera, which is the online course-taking platform where you can learn just about anything in an informal setting more than obviously paying umpteen thousand dollars a year to go to college, he uses it to write a lot of emails, so all of a sudden freeing up his time. And if you could free up workers' time, it's not unreasonable to say that you could get a company of 2,000 people that maybe had 4,000 people but now has 2,000, and instead of paying 
all those two extra thousand people, now you're paying for 2,000 people and for those 2,000 people to have ChatGBT for 50 bucks a month. That's not unreasonable. And if you're talking about, you know, getting the entire professional workforce, let's say 3 million people, just, I mean, that's a low number. But even if you just want to say something like 3 million people and you charge them 50 bucks a month, then all of a sudden you're talking about $150 million in revenue a month just from people paying that money. Now, obviously, will that will their competitive advantage erode as a lot of these other big companies catch up? Google, Facebook, who knows? But even just, it's very clear just in the product that ChatGPT has the best product at this point because no one has released anything else quite like it. Moving on to 2023 this year, already they've had a busy year as Microsoft has announced a $10 billion investment valuing OpenAI at $29 billion. And if you look at the terms of the deal, it's actually a very convoluted deal that I want to kind of clue you in on the specifics of. So basically, Microsoft has a $10 billion investment, and what happens is that Microsoft will get 75% of their profits of OpenAI until it recoups their $10 billion. And from there, Microsoft will get a 49% stake in the company, which is interesting. Obviously, that's 1% low to make decisions, so that's a very calculated, a very precise number. But, you know, if you think about what such a complex deal means, you start to wonder why it wasn't just money for stake. You know, you have to do the 75% thing, and then you get the stake. It's very interesting. But it's, it's very obvious why both companies would want to do this. If you think about for Microsoft, they further their opportunities for Azure by getting another big, a bigger client, right? They can put exclusive services like opportunities for Bing integration. You know, Bing's obviously lacked behind Google for many, many years. But you throw ChatGPT on there and a lot of people are going to start using Bing more potentially by just going because Google doesn't have such a thing. It's very obvious why Microsoft would want to get in bed with OpenAI is to be able to use a lot of that technology that OpenAI obviously has such a bigger competitive advantage versus everyone else. Their technology is just quite a bit better, it seems. But for OpenAI... Obviously, they're, they're getting money, and then they're tying themselves to Microsoft in the way that they can use Azure servers. Of course, Azure is Microsoft's cloud computing division, where it's kind of the competitor to Amazon Web Services. So it's latching itself to Azure, which is, you know, if you from technolo- technologically probably on par with Amazon as far as their cloud computing technology, but probably is getting some sort of advantages to be able to work exclusively with Microsoft as far as using Azure to train ChatGBT using those servers and getting, you know, obviously it's good to tie yourself to one of the biggest companies in the world and be able to leverage a lot of resources Microsoft has in order to scale up. Well, let's, let's zoom out a little bit. Let's talk about some problems with ChatGPT. And the first is the issue with it just straight out giving you an answer, right? ChatGPT is supposed to be treated, it's supposed to be giving you facts. It's supposed to be enabling you by giving you just the factual information, but it can get very tricky when you wade into politics. For example, I got it to endorse Joe Biden for president, basically said Joe Biden would be a great president, which is interesting. A lot of people disagree with that. 
say honestly, if you look at the approval rating, the majority of Americans disagree with that. So, you know, you it, it, it does well in the realm of facts when you're asking it code, when you're asking it um, for things that are pretty common knowledge, when you're asking it for just straight up facts. But when you're talking, when you wade into the realm of opinion where people disagree and people disagree on everything, but specifically when you get into a situation like this, it can definitely run into some challenges because it spits these things out as if it is just objective fact when it may not be. Another problem is the source issue. It doesn't say, oh, here's where we got our thing from. It just gives you the answer. So what happens? Does Yelp have a claim against ChatGPT? And the, men, and the thing I mentioned earlier at the, at the beginning of the episode where you can use it to find the best steak restaurant in L.A. Well, people used to go to Yelp to find the best steak restaurant in L.A. So does Yelp has a, have a punitive case if ChatGPT so scrapes information from Yelp that gives it to the user and now Yelp has lost traffic on their site and gets less money from ads is less investable because it, its traffic is lower when ChatGPT is using it as a source does Yelp have a claim against ChatGPT because ChatGPT is using it and not giving it credit in the source material or counting it as a view on the website I would argue it does so you have really interesting quandaries there where ChatGPT is not giving credit to these sources and then it's potentially these sources are losing value because ChatGPT is replacing them in the credits because when Google you Google the thing and either it pops up at the top and gives the website link that it used right below it or you have to actually click on the website and it's seen as a view by the by the company that um, owns the website so it's very obvious when you Google something, who it was from, they get credit for it as a website view. You see the ads. So it's very important. But with ChatGPT, it doesn't do that. So does Yelp have a claim against ChatGPT? I believe that it does. So you run into some tricky legal water there when ChatGPT is not citing its sources like that. And like once again, treating it as objectively fact when it may not be. And the last thing is ChatGPT is not very good at math. It turns out a chatbot doesn't do math very much, but that's more of a technical issue. That's not like a the, uh, philosophical or a business issue. That's just straight up don't look, ask it for math advice. So if we kind of go forward, where does I, AI, what does AI look like going forward? Well, the first um, the first thing is what ChatGPT itself said. It can be used to understand and generate a wide range of text it has the ability to greatly improve efficiency in fields such as content creation and customer service, and it opens up new possibilities for AI-powered personal assistance and other applications. So the basic idea of the future with ChatGPT is that it is going to take over the world. Well, I mean, that may be a little over the top, but you're already seeing people code complex solutions with ChatGPT. I've seen videos of somebody where ChatGPT coded an entire app for them, where you're seeing all of these people that know all these skills that are becoming irrelevant because the AI can do these skills better than them. You know, there, it might be turn out that school essays are dead. As ChatGPT gets better, it's already fairly decent. I typed in, I asked ChatGPT to write a sympathetic and apologetic letter from an energy company that was informing citizens that it's going to raise their rates by 15%. And it did. It, it, was, it would have been indistinguishable from what I would have written. And, you know, you just save somebody working at Ameren 45 minutes to an hour writing and editing and polishing 
a letter to customers because it just did it all for you right there in less than 10 seconds. So all of these white collar work that is potentially being um, lessened, it can provide a framework for writing essays. Like I said, school essays might be dead because it can just write these things better. It may not, not better. That's the thing. It, 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 Depending on your grade level, like obviously if you're in seventh grade writing an essay, ChatGPT looks and sounds very good. But if you're writing a high school or a college paper, not as much. But it can provide you a lot of framework. You know, if you're looking for the the pros and cons, if you're writing an essay about the pros and cons of anything, you just type it in there, write me an essay about the pros and cons of the thing, and it'll give you the pros and cons. So now you know where to start from. So you don't have to go and look and find the points yourself. It gives you the points and then you can just focus on the research and the writing of the points and explaining them the best you can. So it can provide a framework for larger essays. And what the future sounds like, according to the CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, when he gave an interview, is he said the real money is going to be made in there's going to be bigger and smaller players. So the bigger players, which I assume they hope they're one, Google, maybe Facebook, these companies that are really working on their own AI models will, will all create general models. It's just like search engines. You have Edge, Google Chrome. They're all kind of indistinguishable-ish where they all, some do little, other th- some things better than others, but they're all kind of a general model where if you want to know 99% of the world's information, you can go on any one of these general general models and look them up but where a lot of the money is going to be made is they think that smaller players these these really powerful people they think the smaller players are going to take these general models and tune it for a specific industry such as the medicine industry you know you probably can't ask jet gpt a whole lot about beating cancer cells with a new form of radiology you know science i don't i'm not a science major but you know, these complex med- medical questions on the cutting edge of medical science, fighting cancer, all those things, it's probably not very good at. So Sam Altman believes that there's going to be these large base layer AIs that can answer 99% of general questions. But then you're going to have these smaller players that will take these general models and tune them for a specific industry to answer complex questions that only are issues for a certain smaller percent of the population. So that is kind of the short, the medium, the short term, medium and long term outlook in the short medium term, you're going to kind of have a lot more efficiency as far as white collar and these things where, you know, like I said, if you're an intern at Ameren that's supposed to write the apology letter, you can do that in 10 seconds instead of 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and then, you know, in the long term, you get talking about general models that will be able to just do anything. And then these very specific models that are going to target specific, really minute problems in in industries that they can charge a lot more for and just have these AI solution companies for very small industries, as well as big ones from the big companies in in the ether, right? Almost like search engines today, where if you want really, really specific medical data and medical information, you won't find that on Google Chrome but you'll find the majority of everything else there. So it's kind of almost like an upgraded version of that, it seems like. And then also you get into the talk of UBI, universal basic income. If these um, artificial intelligence models become so good, they can just do just about everything humans can, but better. Um, Then you move into the problem where 
do we need a universal basic income because humans just don't need to work because these machines are doing everything better than them the interesting thing is for a lot of tasks the problem is not the brain like the uh, thinking the mechanisms it is the robotics like the creation of things to move like humans do right if you if you're talking about like a bo- like a bot that can be a farmer the the reason there isn't a bot yet that can be a farmer is not because the bots don't know how to farm. It's that because they can't move and, you know, do things like humans can, like wrist movement and things like that. It's harder, not on the mental end, on the of programming these bots what to do under certain circumstances. It's not that it's the human aspect of being able to move around and things so the interesting thing is a lot of the impairments there lie on the robotics end and i think that's quite a bit of information i think hopefully you enjoyed i tried to go a little deeper on not just chat gpt because there's a lot of there's a lot on the chat gpt the application itself um, but I tried to go into detail a little bit too on OpenAI, the company who's some very familiar names in the process of open AI and the investing phase and in the um, working phase and things. So that was very interesting to find. And yeah, so hopefully I gave you a comprehensive overview of chat GPT and open AI. And I hope I will see you next time. I'm going to talk about the macroeconomic outlook because it's been quite a while since I've done an episode on that and a lot of things have changed. So let me know, leave a review, leave a leave a comment, let me know is there anything that you liked about this episode, anything I was missing maybe from my chat GPT overview, open AI overview. Hopefully you enjoyed the part where I actually made chat GPT write my script. As you can see, it only wrote me three minutes, so I can't replace my research with AI, but it'll happen one day, and I won't have to do anything except sit here and talk. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and I hope to see you on the next one real soon. I promise I'm going to be consistent this time. Bye, everybody.